You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. How did you make sure that they did what they're supposed to do? Oh, if you didn't keep your word, there was nobody in the entire community that would ever do business with you again. That was it. The man's word was truly gold. Would you do that today? Would you shake a hand and say, let's agree, that's the price of the car. I'm going to walk out with it. No paper at all. Would you agree to that? How many of you have bought a home recently? You've seen a stack of papers you have to sign? Your eyes get cross-eyed. Times change. Back in the day, handshakes meant more than just a handshake. Your word was your bond, as the expression goes. Pastor Tom explores this idea of liars and people of honesty. Think about everyday conduct in business, in jobs, at home. Liars are everywhere, unfortunately. They have something that would be advantageous to them, so in order to get it, they compromise principle. Jesus had something to say about that, just as James does. Don't promise unless you aim to keep it. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 5, as he begins his message, being a person of integrity amidst a world of liars. Three things I have learned through experience about people. They are liars. They'll even lie to convince you they're not lying. Let's put it that way. And when their lies are found out, they will lie that they even lied in the first place. They'll deny it. And no, I'm not just talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm talking about the average Joe is a liar. I'm not saying people always lie. But I am saying that when the truth no longer helps somebody or is advantageous to them, they will quickly hide it. They will spin it. They'll twist it. They'll distort it. They'll redefine it. They'll discard it. Or they'll just outright repudiate it. Such is the reality of fallen human nature. It's who we are by nature. It may not be who you would like to see yourself as, but the Bible is clear and human experience, when we're honest, is clear. Men are liars. Women are liars too. When the first man and woman listen to Satan, they listen to a, a being who is called the father of lies. And they listen to one of his lies. And they believed the lie. And they fell into darkness. They fell from truth because God who made them was a God of truth. And they fell into falsehood. And that's now what naturally comes to the children of Adam. And you are child of Adam, lying. You now have adopted his nature. Remember when he was confronted with the truth by God, he blamed his wife. Remember that? Blame shifting is part of the lying rather than owning up to what one does. Our children, young children, never have to go to school to learn to lie. Right? You never sat down and said, now here's what you do. When they catch you with something, just lie. They just do it anyway. It comes like breathing to children. That's the proof 
that it's our nature. Truth-telling does not come naturally. It comes either because the truth benefits you, so you speak it loudly. You know, when you won something, wait a minute, I won, I won, I got the most. And truth then becomes very important. Or it comes with godly training against the grain of our nature. Or it comes with threat of punishment. If you lie and it's found out, you're dead. Or something like that. In case you think I'm overstating that men are liars, just ask yourself, how many businesses are there out there that would abide by financial ethical standards if there was not a regulatory agency? How many companies would offer, or their offers would be as good as gold as far as you would be concerned, if there were no laws against fraud? How many of them would operate above board? Which of you hasn't been disappointed by the small print on your insurance policy? Why is it small print? Isn't that a way of getting it past you, deceiving you? Which of you hasn't been disappointed by the extra charges in your bank statements? Who hasn't been gypped by a repairman who fixed your problem, charged you, and it's not fixed? The car still doesn't run right. But then why pick on companies? They have their own set of problems. Employees who embezzle goods, after all, aren't they privileged to have it? And then they lie to cover it up. Is that true or not true? Some of you might even be tempted to do that yourself and not realize that's stealing and lying. Workers who take liberties with their breaks. It's supposed to be a 15-minute break, but it's 27 and a half. Folks who call in sick with just a sniffle. Got to use up those sick days. Managers who spruce up the progress reports so they can get their promotion. Again, if you think I'm exaggerating, ask yourself, who really trusts anyone anymore? Growing up down in the South, my dad told stories of when one farmer would speak to another farmer, and they would agree to something, and they would stick their hand out, and they would shake hands, and that was it. There was no paperwork. Dad, how did you make sure that they did what they were supposed to do? Oh, if you didn't keep your word, there was nobody in the entire community that would ever do business with you again. That was it. The man's word was truly gold. Would you do that today? Would you shake a hand and say, let's agree, that's the price of the car. I'm going to walk out with it. No paper at all. Would you agree to that? How many of you have bought a home recently? You've seen a stack of papers you have to sign? I mean, your eyes get cross-eyed. It's a stack. Sue, what does it say? Sign that one, honey. It's like, I just, just give me the thing. Just sign. I cannot read all of that. Why do we have to do that? Because people are liars. How prevalent do you think cheating on income taxes is? Now ask yourself, if there wasn't a jail sentence attached to that, if we would be faithful. Lying goes on everywhere. Come on, we could go on and on with this, could we not? How many marrieds cheat on their wives and then lie a second time by covering it up? How many kids lie to their parents? How many kids lie to their parents? How many parents lie to their kids? How about cheating in sports? You ever hear of steroids? We can go on and on. I mean, it affects the Olympics. Collegiate sports is big business. It's all about gaining the advantage. Sue and I knew parents that would teach their little girls, playing against our girls, I'm going back a few years, tennis. 
would teach their little girls to call the other kids' balls out even when they were in to win the set. Of course, we know politicians lie. If you don't know that, I don't know where you've been. They all lie. Some are more skilled at it. Some say it without batting an eye. Lawyers will defend lies to win in court. Thank God we have at least one institution in America that tells the truth. The media. (laughs) Well, you laugh, so I guess I don't need to preach it to you. The fact checkers need to be checked with facts. Often they lie just by what they choose to present, who they have be the spokesperson for it, and how smart or dumb they look based upon whether or not they like the idea. They set it all up. Rarely do you find a passioned moral and scientific presentation on any of the news networks against abortion, for example. And if they did, I doubt anyone, hardly anyone would believe in it because it's a murder of an innocent child or whatever issue that there is that comes up. Good journalism is rare these days. And we haven't even waded into religion yet. Those that seem to be preaching the right message but for their personal gain or false religion. We live in a corrupt society. We live in a society of liars. Even the most corrupt societies realize that at times they have to get the truth out of people. They have to. Otherwise, distrust will reign without any remedy. And what will happen to a society where everyone mistrusts everyone else? We're starting to get a glimpse of it right now in our society, right? What's going on here? Was that really the truth just because that spokesman says it? And there's a lot of doubt, and doubt leads to, it can lead to violence in a society. The whole society can fall apart. We are in danger of falling apart as a society because of a lack of integrity. This is the main reason why societies develop the practice of oath-taking, oath-taking, to make sure that at least at some point in time, lying stops and the truth gets out. Put them under oath, warn them severely of the consequences, tell them that what they say is going to be investigated very carefully, and then have them speak. Today, we're going to learn about oath-taking and why it is bad and why it is sometimes good. We're going to learn both. It's just from one verse in James 5, verse 12. Let me read it. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, that is to take an oath, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no No, so that you may not fall under judgment. So what's going on here? The Holy Spirit is teaching that we ought to be known so much as people of truth-telling, people of integrity, that a simple yes or a simple no is all that has to be given. People can count on our word. Really, the verse communicates this lesson both from the negative side and the positive We'll look at the negative first, the first part of verse 12. Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Now, this is interesting because it seems to contradict other passages of Scripture, so we're going to take a close look at this. He addresses them, notice, by the familiar, my brethren, showing that he has a connection to them as a fellow Christian and a part of the family of God. And 
he has something important to write because he adds this little thing here, above all. Now that phrase is a little bit hard to fit into the flow of thought here in chapter 5. Commentators have a difficult time with it. It's not all that evident what he means. James does not seem to be saying that swearing is the worst possible sin and therefore above all the other things that he's been condemning in this letter, um, this is the worst. No, because other things have been pretty bad as well. So some take this above all, not really to mean above all, but something like, finally, this is what I'm getting to in my letter. To wrap things up, I have this one last thing to say. But that doesn't seem to fit the language all that well. So maybe what James has in mind is that he has taught a lot in this epistle already up to this point in time, and a lot of what he has taught has been Christian practice about the way to live out your faith, the way to demonstrate your faith, particularly with the tongue. He's had a lot to say about the tongue and hurtful speech and judging and lying and and speaking improperly to people. But there's one very important application of the Christian life, particularly the tongue, that he has not mentioned anywhere else in the letter up to this point in time. And now he wants to tackle it. He doesn't want to forget it. And so he says, above all, and there's this important punctuation uh, note here at the end of the letter. This practice of swearing an oath or oath-taking then, and then breaking oaths, I think is implied, is bad. It's quite bad. Because it's directly offensive to God because it invokes God's name or God's throne or God's home, heaven, or his footstool, earth. It invokes that to buttress or back up the words that someone is saying so that other people will believe them. And that's bad. That shouldn't be going on. He wants to deal with that. That's directly offensive to God. And so I think that's what James's purpose is here, why he's putting that together here And his teaching seems to be like a punctuation mark here, although it's one verse, he says it rather strongly. Above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, and then he throws in any other oath. Now, what he writes here, and we've been mentioning this through James, that a lot of James sounds a lot like his half-brother, Jesus, and particularly sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. And indeed, this sounds so much like the Sermon on the Mount, so much like what Jesus said in that world-famous sermon that I want us to actually turn there. Keep your finger in, James. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5 and actually spend a little more time here, Matthew 5, because here Jesus actually develops it a little bit more, and there's a little more teaching about it. Matthew 5, 33 through 37, and he's contrasting ways that they were taught wrongly and ways they should have been taught. And in verse 33 of Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking. He says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. That means without putting false color on it, that is, right? But let your statement be yes, yes, does that sound familiar? Or no, no. Boy, that sounds exactly what James is writing, doesn't it? Anything beyond these is of evil. Whereas James says, lest you incur judgment, Jesus says anything beyond this is of evil. Interesting. Jesus says that the Jews were typically taught throughout their history not to make false vows, but to fulfill or pay their vows to the Lord. Jesus is not really quoting the Old Testament exactly here, but the general teaching. The wording is similar to what the Mosaic law would actually teach. 
Actually, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, had quite a bit to say about oath-taking, which we need to try to understand before we get to understanding James and Jesus. So I want you to turn back, even from here, go back to Leviticus chapter 19. We'll look into the law of Moses. Leviticus 19, verse 12. And again, just one verse. It's in a series of commands. Leviticus 19, 12. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Don't forget who he is and what his name is. So the Old Testament law clearly disallowed false vows because to use God's name in a false vow was to dishonor his name. That also means that oaths and vows were related to the third commandment of the Ten Commandments. Do you remember what the third commandment was? You shall not what? Take the name of the Lord thy God in what? Vain. Don't take it in an empty, worthless, hollow kind of way. God's name is special because God is special. And to violate an oath made in God's name then was a a way of using his name in an empty and worthless way and breaking the third commandment. Now I want you to turn forward one book to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30. You understand that the law of the law of God in the Old Testament regulated every area of Israeli life. It was not just a religious law. It was a law that covered all of the national, the national needs. And in Numbers 30 and verse 2, it says, If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth, lest he say, well, I'll do part of it, all of it. Whatever you vow to God and whatever you make as an oath to men, do all of it. That was important, all of it. Part of it, after a while, you said, well, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have spoken that. Too bad, you did. Now you got to pay for all of it. Remember Jephthah and his foolish vow? Whatever comes out first to me, I'm going to sacrifice, and then he sees his daughter. So you have to do all of it. Now turn to Deuteronomy, one more book. Deuteronomy 23, just so you can see where this is highlighted in the law of God. Deuteronomy 23, 21. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be sin in you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Wow, so not only don't do Don't pay part of it. You got to do all of it, but don't even delay. You said you're going to do it. Don't delay. We used to tell our kids, slow obedience is disobedience. Slow obedience is disobedience. You know, I'll get around to it. No, you're disobeying. Do it. Do it now. See? So here's the law of God. You don't have to make a vow. There's no command there, at least there, to make a vow. You don't have to. But if you do, you better pay and you better pay it quickly, and you better pay it all. In addition to this, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. Psalm 50 and verse 14 adds this. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Think about that. He's the Most High. Think about who you spoke to and remember what he can do to you. And remember that. You better pay your vows. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 4 adds this. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Pretty clear, right? 
So this was taught over and over again in the Old Testament. The Old Testament permitted the swearing of oaths, permitted the swearing of vows, as long as they were not irreverent, as long as they were not false, as long as they were not neglected, right? Now, before we move on, let's define exactly what an oath is and what a vow is. A vow or an oath was a solemn and a binding promise. A solemn and a binding promise either to do something for somebody else or to confirm that what one was saying was true. I vow to do this, or I, I swear this is true. The words that are coming out of my mouth is, is true. It was stronger than a promise because it was a sworn testimony. Now, the distinction between oaths and vows was generally not all that sharp. In Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, it uses them together. It says, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. We read that. He has to do everything out of his mouth. But generally speaking, a vow was made to God. It had a religious sense to it. You make your vow to God. It was a solemn promise to God, and an oath was made to people, a promise that you'd make to people. That wasn't always held up, but generally speaking, that was true. For example, vows could be made to dedicate some action to God. In Genesis chapter 28, even before the law of Moses was given, Jacob made a vow to God. If God, you'll do this and this and this for me, then you will be my God and this place will be sacred. And he makes a vow to God. Vows could uh, dedicate an offering, such as in Leviticus 27. You'd vow and you'd dedicate something in an offering to God. Or it could dedicate uh, oneself to abstain from something, such as in Psalm 132, 2 to 5. David had all these comforts. He said, I won't keep any of these comforts. I vow to not have any of these comforts, Lord, if you will do such and such, or until he did such and such. So you'd you'd make the vow to God, and you're to pay that vow. Oaths were often used in legal settings and in legal procedures. Moses's law actually called for oath-taking when the truth in a case was very difficult to ascertain. For example, there's a woman who is suspected of committing adultery. How are you supposed to deal with this? It's a he said, she said kind of situation. Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 and following says that she, because of the seriousness of the accusation, she was to take an oath and then she was to testify. She was to be put under oath solemnly so that if anything she said was found out not to be true, then she could be punished for that. So she was to be put under an oath. When a community unknowingly shielded a criminal, a criminal ran from one location and came within the walls of a city and the inhabitants were their typical, you know, hospitable selves and they invited this criminal in and then the people pursuing that came to the city and said, what are you doing protecting this criminal in your walls? And they would say, we didn't know, we didn't know it was a criminal. They were to swear an oath that they did not know he was a criminal. And so oaths were taking truth-telling to another degree. You have, we have to have this in society, otherwise the rest of us cannot be assured that what you're saying is true. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, teaches that even if the oath or vow was spoken thoughtlessly, it was still binding. Even if it was spoken thoughtlessly, it was still binding. Wow. In fact, in Genesis chapter 50, this is interesting, verses 25 and 26, some oaths could be binding on future generations. Imagine that. You vow, you know, and and the future generations, the kids have to fulfill the vow. Um, And that happens when Joseph made his sons swear that they would bring his bones back to the promised land and bury him there, not in Egypt. And so they did. They felt they were still under that oath that their father swore. That's fascinating. Now, typically oaths or vows 
had three components to them. You can write this down. The first component is the promise itself. That's what you might think of. You make a vow, that's the promise. Someone or something, someone was pledging to do something for someone or something that they were going to do. That's the promise. They were guaranteeing that's, that something was true or they were guaranteeing that they would do something. So that's the promise itself. I don't trust them. I can't quite explain why, but I don't think they're being honest. Have these thoughts ever crossed your mind when you look at a person, maybe at your job or even in your home? James has some explicit instructions on how to deal with liars in this fallen world and not become one yourself. Pastor Tom explained in detail today about why we're directed in Scripture to have no part in taking oaths. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit HopeBible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. It's easy to forget how something starts. Maybe you do something just because someone else did it, but there's really no meat behind it, no reason. Be sure to tune in next week as Pastor Tom continues talking about this idea of people who end up being liars because their word isn't their bond. Their promises are not genuine. The Jewish people had to be careful with their vows because it was a serious matter. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of James. So we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.